he's one of the greatest contemporary musicians of the era, acknowledged the world over as a musical genius, a cult figure, an icon. I adore his music, and I'm thrilled to have a special rendezvous with God's gifted child, Allah Rakarema. Yeah, Rahman, this is an occasion, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. Me too, because I've been watching your show for the past two years and thinking, will I be there? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here. And you've flown in specially for my show. Thank you so much. No problem. These are very exciting times for you. Have your feet touched the ground in the last past year? Yes, of course, because uh, I spent a whole month fasting in Madras, my base, so... That kind of brought me down to earth, and uh, here am I. You have Bobby Dreams running at the West End, heading for Broadway. Mm -hmm. Was this ever a fantasy of yours? Mm, no, I, it's not been a dream because uh, I never thought I was eligible to be a West End um, stage composer. I never thought that kind of thing will end in my life. When Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber approached you and said, will you write a musical for my stage? What did you say? What did you feel? The first thing which came to my mind was whether it was true or not. Yeah. <laughs> because Shaker first called me and said, I want you to speak to Andrew Lloyd Webber. I said hi to him and he said, he loved my music. I said, what music did you listen to? He said, all your Bollywood songs, which we have a collection and you want to make it as a musical. Mm. I said, no, 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 I don't want the old stuff. I would like to do something new. So he said, yeah, okay, let's talk about it. And when I went to London, uh, when I met him, I knew how, how much in love he was with all the songs and stuff. Absolutely. And for the first time, as a composer himself, he produces somebody else's work. Yeah, that's amazing, actually. That was very... Uh, I mean, you need a great amount of secure mind to do that kind of stuff, to produce somebody else's and still not interfere in the creative input and encourage them to... He says, so convinced was he of your mm -hmm. talent that he invested £4.5 million on you. Huge burden on my head. <laughs> <laughs> but you had seen a, a, a lot of Weber's work before. You were familiar with his music? I was familiar with The Phantom of the Opera. I couldn't understand it that time. Okay. <laughs> that was around probably 18 years back. Okay. I'd seen Evita in 99, Evita. the movie. Yeah. So that was amazing. So three years and 20 compositions later, Mommy Dreams opens at Apollo Theatre. I couldn't make it for the opening night, if you remember. But you tell me, how, how did it go? Were you tense? Not very much, because uh, when you are in safe hands, like Andrew, Andrew's company, they, they know what they do. They're professionals, and uh, for the first time, I was less burdened. I didn't have uh, the, what do you call it, physical role. It was more a creative role. Now, was he more tense or you? 
all of us were at the back. We had this little, would it work or not? Will it work or not? And then I had to trust in God, and Andrew had to trust in his people. <laughs> so it did work finally. At the end, when they gave you a standing ovation, how many minutes? I think 13 minutes. <laughs> 13 minutes, <Right>. 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm not very sure about that. When you were taking your bows, what was going on in your heart? Then something happens um, in a positive manner in my life, whether it's a successful thing or whether it's a, an appreciation. Um, I usually say this word, Alhamdulillah, which says, which means all praise to God. And I kind of take that burden off my head. So that's what I did. And of course, I was so moved that Andrew, in front of all this Western press, kind of hugged me and said, uh, I'm really proud of you. And, uh, and he said, you have to take the torch of Western theater forward. And you young people should come forward to do more musicals. And this when I thought, you know, how life distinctly dictates you more than what you, what you crave for. Like, it came from his mouth, and I never thought uh, he would say that. It's the ultimate compliment. Yeah, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Being such a successful and extraordinary composer himself, coming forward and doing something which is completely unknown to him, and trusting that, getting uh, all the people, even the Queen, saying to her that this is my composer, and he's done uh, this musical, and that was really moving. <laughs> so you met the Queen as well? Yeah. How was that meeting? Being a very conservative person herself, I think she was quite taken aback when she saw this Bombay Dreams thing, a very Asian thing. Mm. I could see the little uh, thing in her eyes, but she was very appreciative about the work and the cast and all this stuff. What did she say to you? She said something which I couldn't remember. You can't remember? Yeah. Uh, I think she said a very energetic show or something like that. Very energetic show. <laughs> But it's really strange that you can't remember it because a lot of people... Because <laughs> I'm more uh, concerned about what should I do when the queen comes? Should I shake her hand or should I say, take a bow, you know? Yeah. A very confusing thing. So what did you do? It happened, she gets, we shook hands. <laughs> and you, 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 you didn't? No, oh. I just shook hands. So, so looking at me. <laughs> and was Prince Philip there too? No. Just the queen? I oh. met Prince Charles uh, two months back Okay. in a party which was the richest Asian show or something like that. Mm. That's when I got introduced to Prince Charles. See, I mean, where <laughs> life takes you. I mean, you meet all these amazing people. The I Jews. know.
know, you have gone where no Indian has gone before. You've made that leap from Chennai to Broadway. In, the, in this whirlwind that is surrounding you, does the Asian Mozart ever pause and look back at the journey where he's come from? The moment you just stand and look back, it, it kind of halts you. Do, you. do you remember clearly that young boy from Chennai mm -hmm. who grew up a little before his time? Yes, I, I, I do remember. When I look back at uh, where I started, I think uh, destiny and God has played a major factor in my life. You were yeah. Dilip Shekhar at that time. Yeah. What was Dilip like? Almost similar. <laughs> Almost similar. <laughs> but more, more uh, complex. You were brought up with three sisters. Yeah. Your father was a, a music composer and an arranger. Yeah. He brought the first synth out to India. So there was In fact, he got a free ticket to Japan. Got the first Korg uh, SH-7 or something. So that was your first introduction to... Yeah, synthesizers. I remember him tweaking, uh, at the age of five, I think. I remember him tweaking all the sounds, trying to simulate frog and <laughs> night effects and stuff. And he must have been fascinated. Yeah. So you learned music from him at a young age. He did teach me the basics. And then when I was four, uh, I remember accompanying my father to the studios. Then he fell ill when I was almost like five or six. My whole five to nine year old, uh, that age was in the hospitals with him. Yes, in the cancer institute and you know, all kinds of spiritual healing and all this stuff. Must have been a lot of anxiety. I didn't know much because it was, because it was life for me. That's, that was the exposure of life for me at that stage. Maybe, I thought maybe this is what uh, destiny was that time. When somebody reads about certain thing and when they go to a playground, they think, okay, this is life, this is enjoyment. This, when, when I go to hospital, then I think, this, okay, is, this is my life. So, and this is in, a, in a way, actually, all those things have tamed me up. Maybe I would have become a, uh, I wouldn't have become a musician if, if all those things had not happened. And my music would, wouldn't have the, uh, that part of uh, uh, melancholy felt that was life because that's what I had. You've said that it's very important, apart yeah, from think, knowing the ragas and everything, it's very important for that little bit of sorrow. Yeah, I think it kind of brings uh, a melody into your life. It's the same thing, actually, when you fast uh, during Ramadan, we, we see the hunger of the poor man sitting on the road. Because when you've always filled, uh, you have a filled stomach always, then you don't realize the hunger and you think that it's all cool. So it's almost like that. <laughs> But when your father was very ill, did you realize what was happening? Did you understand what's going on? It's a complex thing because at that time, mm -hmm. uh, though I don't believe in all this black magic and all this stuff, they, every one of my father's friends, they would say, oh, they've, they've done this to him, they've done to Shekhar, you know? Mm. It's still a mystery for me. <laughs> a mystery what happened to him? Yeah, you always kind of expect Okay, now after this, it's going to become all right. After this, yeah. it's going to become all right. You kind of expect that kind of thing. And then suddenly it became all right, almost. He did all become all right. And one week later, he died. Oh. Yeah, it was almost as, uh, it seemed as though it was gaining uh, a kind of, it's getting healed or something like that. That was very funny. <laughs> but uh, your mother must have gone through a terrible time. Yeah. With all uh, four children with her and yeah. stuff like that. It was more like a struggle and uh, family circumstances and all this stuff, trouble. But, 
So as the only male in the family, you went out to work? I did this job called Rodi. Rodi means you take the instrument and set up for other people. So that happened for three, four years, from the age of 10 to 13, 14. Mm. Then my mother felt that I should start playing. Uh, to be a permanent keyboard player, which would give sufficient money for the family to run. Yeah. You took on the responsibility. Actually, my mother had taken quite a lot of responsibility and we just had our bit of it, uh, my sisters and myself. And having to earn at the age of 10, looking after family, having responsibilities, burdens, what does it do to a young boy? I think it kind of shapes you up <laughs> to be a nice boy. When I have look, at, look back at my life now, it seems as though it's a big thing, but at that time it's part of life and then you swim across and then you cross that. Understand? So when you start away with a rough uh, kind of beginning, then you cope with it. Mm. But what about school? School, I was a very uh, bad student. Students said I skipped school, so obviously if you're working, you had to get can't abuses school. from school quite often. I did my tenth, and then I did uh, a couple of months on the plus one, and then I left halfway. Because you had to work. Yeah, lack of attendance and stuff like that. But yeah. the teachers must have been very yeah. angry. In fact, the famous abuses, uh, take your son and go to the platform of the, the streets of Kodumbakam, then they'll put your money. Don't bring him to school. They said that? <laughs> Naturally, when you don't go to school, they have to do that. When I just think about it now, they were right and they had to be strict and stuff like that. But is it true that they used to even whack you with a ruler? Uh, again, lack of attendance, mostly. And what did you say? I mean, what was supposed to be fun became a kind of serious thing. Did you talk to your mother? Did you tell her what you were going through or no? You didn't. We had uh, enough problems, I mean, on the whole family. And so, I mean, I could see what was happening. So I had to take care of this side of, by myself. Mm. Of course, we had, uh, my sisters were there supporting all of us, and mentally and emotionally. Were you ever a carefree child? Um, no, not then. Too many questions about the future, what would happen and things like that. And bothered about our family with just my mother and my three sisters. Did it toughen you or did it make you introverted? Mm. It's a complex answer, actually. <laughs> yes, I had this complexes about myself. What? Because we, because of all this thing at school and it's about uh, being without a father and being in music. And being in music was not cool that time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, okay, you're a musician and what we respect is government jobs, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, you have to cross all that and believe in yourself and work hard. And But one thing which was good about him was uh, after he died, when I went playing for sessions, uh, everyone had a very good opinion about him. And they would say, because of your father, I'm here. Because of your father, I'm a musician. Because of him, I've got this house. Because he used to use me in all the sessions. And okay. so. I felt good that, you know, I had, was born to a very nice person. 
photographer and, and a musician. But um, you must have you must have grown up before your time. In a way, actually, I feel younger now than what I felt that those days. <laughs> actually, you are going through your. Yeah, that, exactly. That so now. reverse is happening. It's it's an in interesting thing. In fact, uh, just before Roja, I met all this young band and I started playing them. Then I realized that I was a young person. I could play young music than just uh, playing background for these weeping mothers and. <laughs> Because uh, at age 23, I was like mixing with a 60-year-old and 50-year-old, very sweet people. And I thought I was one among them. And uh, then it took me probably a year and a half to realize that I was young and I could go further in, in my own way. But you don't have gray hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to look at life. You can't just keep complaining all your life. You have to see what you can learn from, you know, because everything says something. What I got from them is values and stuff like that, about music and about ethics and stuff, and what not to learn from them. Yeah. <laughs> Musicians also have this other side. A sense of uh, complacency which they have. Okay, this is our life, this is our music, and it's uh, uh, forbidden to go beyond this. Mm. I think I wanted to go further than that, and every time you push yourself and do something, people always say, don't do that, it's a waste of time. I know. But it, it's, it's, you can't take it like that. You can have to um, make it as a stepping stone for you. Did you believe in yourself? Um, did you know you had the talent? No. <laughs> you did not know? I thought I was a mediocre. <laughs> Don't be silly. Really. Until I did Roja. When I started composing, that's when I felt that this is not mine. So that's when I started believing that I'm not this. There's something else coming here. And, uh, a new force. Yeah. Because when you listen to my music pre-Roja or anything, even my playing, which completely different different which was the first song you recorded the first song was Chodi Siyasha it was a lovely song yeah it was but you created a completely new sound and beat and rhythm but it took a lot of time I didn't know what people would expect or anything so we just went by instinct which is Rangila actually yeah. which is the first original Hindi score and you became a phenomenon I think Tal kind of made it a standard because till before then it was okay the, the guy from South has done something. Let's something new, yeah. yeah. I'm quite grateful to Subhash Kai for that. <laughs> Have you ever watched the young generation dancing to your numbers at discos? Never been to a disco much. <laughs> You've never been to a disco? <laughs> Just once, once or twice when it was empty. <laughs> Initially you were very shy and you didn't sing your own songs. Because then, uh, when I sing, imagine what they think. You first sing in tune and then you tell us to sing in tune. No. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
you sing with so much passion. Okay. I mean, Vande Matram. Nobody else can sing it like you. I feel there's a direct connection from your vocal cord to your heart, <laughs> the way it comes out. Bala pushed me through that. I remember when I first uh, did the track, one o'clock I called Bala, night. And then he came over and there was no sound engineer. My sound engineer had left. So I told him, just press the record button and the play button. And then we'll roll. Came out, he was crying. I thought, what did he sing wrong? No, 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 it was fantastic. It was like a new national anthem. I think the main thing was uh, to do something very young and take the essence of it and then really make people feel and first feel within ourselves. So the first thing which came was Mataji Salam. performance was in Delhi, I think I would feel the pulse of the whole people. I went to the US for concerts, mm. seeing Indian audiences react to that so much. Almost getting up and, you know, as a mark of respect, I could see the real joy of people, all communities. I think it's, it's one of the greatest compositions ever. Thank you. But tell me, what gives you joy? When you're doing music, I think you kind of immerse yourself and then it, it Joy or sorrow gets lost within it <laughs> when you're in that particular zone when uh, music happens. And uh, I think mostly what joy is for me is a reflection of seeing it on other people. That's what I wondered. Yeah. Is uh, it the reaction? Yeah, it's the reaction. Or is it the creation? I think uh, you can remember the reaction better than the... It gets lost somewhere when, when you're doing it. Does appreciation count a lot with you? It does count when you don't, <laughs> when you don't get it. Oh, come on. That, that, that's when you find the worth of it. So tell me, where do you want to go? Where do you want to reach? I never think about that. <laughs> Things are quite unpredictable in life. That's true. I would rather say that I was, I'm like a boat on a river without a sail, and I'm taking the course of the river, going to the destination. And when I reach the destination, I know that, OK, I've come here. And it goes wherever the breeze of God takes it. Yeah. <laughs> but tell me something. Has, has your success healed the insecurities of your childhood? In fact, more than what uh, I deserved. <laughs> That's what I feel when I look back. Mm. So do any fears remain? I think the worst fear is about 
not about, not about my own death, it's about other people whom you like. That's the worst fear when you think about, you can't get over it. <laughs> you, you must feel this because you lost your father. Yeah. And uh, every person, every human being fear has this fear. When I meet God, how will I face him? Sometimes when you do good things in life, you feel good that maybe I have a chance. A.R., you were born Dilip Kumar Shekhar. And I think soon after your father died, your mother converted to Islam. No, it's not a conversion kind of thing. It was more like a spiritual journey. Right. We were more uh, affected by Sufism. Yeah. And uh, this piece of uh, Karimullah Shakadri. It's not like one Sunday I woke up and... So this journey kind of uh, led us somewhere, uh, the whole family. And then you could feel that we're going on to something which was healing all our pains. Because you and went through a lot of pain at that yeah. time. Not only me, I think the whole family. Yeah. And uh, in some way, Sufism and music, they go very complement each other. And you could feel certain things happening, certain, certain incidents which happened in our family during through that whole journey. And for me as a person, I. Being a musician, you always ask questions within yourself. The whole process of creation and birth and where each person goes and the, the celestial and the universe and all this stuff raises questions in, within yourself. And then you kind of crave for an answer. And then I started believing this oneness of God. But uh, there was a stage when you were a teenager when you doubted if there was a God. Yeah, everybody goes through that phase. Eh? There's certain unexplainable things which happen in your life. You can only associate it with the magic of God. So when did uh, Dilip Shekhar become Allah Rakha Rahman? From 89, slowly. And then my mother asked Mani Ratnam that, can I change my son's name as this? Because I, I thought I should have a new identity which would give me more confidence. And So who chose the name for you? Uh, my mother chose it for me. What a lovely name. Yeah. <laughs> did you find uh, when you became Allah Rakha Rahman, any change in you as a person? Probably six months after the name was changed, I bought a book, which was the 99 names of Allah. Then I opened the book, and the first name was Ar Rahman. And that kind of gave me a shock. Having this name, I should respect it and elevate it rather than, you know, go against. So it kind of burden on my head. <laughs> you said somewhere that it was like having taken a dip in a sea. So cleansed did you feel? You washed away the old pain and... Yeah, exactly. To get an identity where I don't have to remember all my failures. <laughs> and as I was being born again. Uh, so it kind of helped me a great deal. Thinking that, okay, this person is fresh and he only does this. He doesn't do that. Okay, <laughs> start fresh. Start fresh. Okay. Your first salary was 50 rupees. 50 rupees. To operate a record player. <laughs> and now you're... Accounted amongst the top 10 
Asian Exaggerated Ernest. Exaggerated <laughs> uh, Asian, Asian Ernest in Britain. And uh -huh. you've made about two million pounds in the last year or so. I'm delighted about it. But how does it feel? Money actually is a burden for a creative person because the moment the moment I have 20,000 rupees in my hand, I always think about how to spend it. How should I spend it? Should I do this? To, uh, then finally when I give it off, I feel much more happier than having it within me. In every religion it says that uh, don't own anything. You just have this little thin membrane of separation. Between you and the world? Between you, yourself and money, between yourself and fame, between yourself and family, which is more dif most difficult one. <laughs> so when you lose something, you don't lose it all because you'd never owned it. And uh, like money, fame or whatever. Yeah. Would you be scared of losing the fame that you have if everything disappeared? It came from him and it'll, it's gone to him. Rather than brooding about it, we should just thank for what you had. And sometimes when one door closes, seven doors open. It happened with you. It does happen if you believe it. You got married in 95. How come you opted for an arranged marriage? Uh, to be honest, I didn't have the time to go and search for a bride. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, doing all these films and Rangila and Bombay and all this stuff. So, so busy in that. But I knew that it was the right time for me to get married. I was 29. Mm -hmm. And uh, told my mother, I said, find a bride. <laughs> Did you have any specifications? I said a simple one. Uh, who won't give me much trouble <laughs> <laughs> so I could carry on doing my music and hope she inspires me to do more music. You've forgotten what you said. <laughs> you told your mother, I want a bride with some education, some beauty <laughs> and loads of humility. Yeah. So uh, where did you find her? I think my mother found her sister near a, a Sufi shrine and then oh. that led to my wife, Saira. So then you met uh, Sarah for the first time? Yeah. How was it? It's funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, because uh, till then I'd never had the intention, I mean, like seeing a girl with that kind of look. You know, so it was funny for her. So I asked her whether you'd be interested in marrying me and do you have anything else in mind? So she said yes. And then that's but she was an AR Rahman fan. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Well, I had to give her an opportunity to talk, right? Yeah, she said the, she liked one of my songs and she told about that and stuff. This was done over tea, the usual way like you see in Hindi films? Yeah, more simpler. How was it? <laughs> Not with music. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
What's Sarah like? She is calm when she's calm and she gets angry, she's angry. <laughs> There's <laughs> two sides of her. Initially she used to get frustrated. I mean, not going out. I mean, generally you can't go out for shopping or you know. No. So it must have been a lot of adjustment for her to get married to Sapari. I did tell her in the beginning what kind of life she's going to lead. You did tell her. So an agreement before. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to bring her over to see me on rendezvous. Hopefully. <laughs> Love to have you both over here together. Now you have two daughters, Khadija and Rahima. Rahima. Do you spend enough time with them? I do actually. What Though do they don't, they they kind of shy away sometimes. Uh, the elder one kind of insists that I sh should tell her stories. Yes. So I try to make up some stories for her. <laughs> How do they feel about your their father being such a famous guy? Mm. My elder daughter kind of blushes when I, when when somebody asks her, who is your father, what does he do. Mm. So she knows, I think, basically, Khatija, and uh, she says, don't come to school because people will trouble you for autographs. <laughs> yeah. I think the younger one is slowly getting the hang of it. What do you want to teach them? Very difficult question in these days, I think. What I want them to be is Islamic and secular and uh, to have loads of knowledge about the world, to become very important persons in tomorrow, God willing. What does your mother feel about your success? More than anyone, she must be so happy. They're all uh, in, uh, a very important part of my success, actually. My whole family, my sisters and my mother. Mm -hmm. Because when something big happens, they kind of pray for it. And you could see the tension in them. It's not that, okay, is achieved, and even today, if there's something important, I could see them all and they would kind of encourage me, don't worry, we're praying for you and this is going to happen. And that's what you need as a family, to be, to share all the mm. kind of highs and lows. I'm grateful to them for that. Overture from Bombay Times. It's beautiful. Play me five of your favorite compositions. This is one of them, Bombay Times. Okay. And another one. Sentí yo 
This was from Roja. But they didn't have this in Hindi version. They did have, but I don't have the lyrics. <laughs> okay, alright. <laughs> Any other? Okay. Tell me, is there any song from any other composer that you wish you had composed? Uh, there's so many actually, but uh, one of my favorites of Andrew Lord Webber was uh, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Oh, let's hear that. composer song that you wish you had composed or some favorite from your old um I like the song I don't know who composed it So many actually, so many geniuses uh, in India. If I start doing that, you have, need to give me five episodes. Cyrus' <laughs> <laughs> favorite, your wife's favorite. There's one 
happy one and the sad one. I'll probably play you the sad one. <laughs> okay. told me what she likes and my stuff. She's more critical of my work than... She really <laughs> it's just she... good. What, dedicate one song to her. Uh, uh, okay. Matu Jai Salam. true for me to have you sing the song in front of thank me. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's so yeah. beautiful. You know, this is my favorite song. Mm -hmm. Out of all the songs in the world, this is my favorite. But I want to ask you one thing. If, if God were to say to you, Ya Rahman, I gave you a great gift. What did you do on earth that justified the gift I gave to you? Would you sing him Vande Matram? Anything which brings peace in this world, especially nowadays, <laughs> music needs to heal a lot of people. Yeah. It needs to have a good vibe with all of them, and it, it becomes like a zikr, what you say, like an incantation, and when that's uh, heard by all the world, that does something spiritually. There was this song which uh, I did for Mani Ratnam's movie, mm -hmm. which is 
which happened during the uh, the Sri Lankan turmoil. Yes. And this was about the peace for those people. And in just two weeks later, I just heard from the new election happened and there was peace there, which really brought joy to me. Okay, I'll say that. I don't want this rendezvous to end. I, I could sit here the whole night just listening to you. You would have to stand for the next one. And so must every Indian. Yeah, yeah, yeah.